So we're reading uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the whole of this chapter. I'll read it from the uh, NIV uh, 1984 version, just the one I have. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you, In his presence. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Thanks, Guy. How about we pray and ask for God's help right now? Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your living word, the Lord Jesus Christ for having the light of the knowledge of his glory shone in our hearts, that we might come to you and give you thanks and glory, that we might overflow as this grace reaches more and more people. Cause us now to be open and ready to hear what you have to say, that through me you might use your word to powerfully influence us to live for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This year has been a really hard one for me. 
Now, I've been stretched before. Ministry has challenged me and pushed me. But this last year has been different. This year, I think I felt for the first time that I reached the edge of my capacity. It's that moment when you realise that that great weight you've been given may just prove too heavy for you. I felt like that. Maybe you have too. Maybe troubled about things at church, concerned about your kids, hassled by the demands others place on you, or or more complex, hassled by the demands you place on yourself. Possibly disappointment in the people at church, disappointment with yourself. It's not how we speak about how we're going, though, when we talk to each other. Usually, how are things going? Oh, good. We own up to challenges at church, don't we? We, You know, there's irregular attendance, there's a lack of commitment. Those are all things about other people, aren't they? We tend not to talk about how it makes us feel when we are, again, picking up the pieces of something that needs to be done and no one else is doing it. Now, I'm not aiming to drag you down here by dwelling on the tough things in my life and maybe that are in your life too. What I'm aiming for is an honest sense of how fragile I am in order to rightly value the all-surpassing power of God. It's precisely the all-surpassing power of God that causes Paul to have the but not repeated in verse 8 of 2 Corinthians 4. Have another look. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. One of the ways I reckon we rarely apply the sacrificial death of Jesus is to our pain and disappointment in ministry. Paul challenges my effective, successful measures of ministry by suggesting that he always carries the death of Jesus in his body. True Christian leadership means being given over to death for Jesus' sake. Now, if you remember the context of 2 Corinthians, you'll know that the hyper-apostles have rolled into town with their flashy, success-fueled ministry. They're slandering Paul. They're drawing the Corinthians away from the Christ of the gospel. But rather than defend himself, Paul owns up to his weakness. He owns up to the fragility of his ministry. The very thing that his opponents say is his greatest weakness, he says is his greatest strength. What if you opened up the job ads for Christian ministry and saw that we'd suddenly become honest enough to advertise positions involving being given over to death for Jesus' sake? Or, as verse 4 indicates, that we who lead are slaves of the church for Christ's sake. I continue to marvel that we we have songs about being rescued by Jesus, songs about being loved by Jesus, songs about being helped by Jesus. I hardly ever hear any songs about being slaves of Jesus. And I never hear songs about being slaves of the church for the sake of Christ. Why don't we talk that way to one another? 
Why don't we talk that way in our churches? Is it that the lack of talk shows that this kind of thinking is just stashed away at the back of our mind? Or worse, is this kind of thinking not on our radar at all? I've been thinking a lot about this recently. It occurred to me that as Australians, we don't mind making little of our own efforts. You know, we're we're pretty painfully aware of our own weakness. But the issue in 2 Corinthians is not that the Corinthians thought they were weak and therefore weren't stepping up for big ministry roles. No, their real problem was they didn't want to receive weak ministry. See, we want our training days to be top-notch. We we expect the big conventions to attract only the best Bible teachers. Happens in our local churches, doesn't it? Families, they, they come because they hear about the great kids' ministry. And then as the kids grow up, they want attractive youth ministry. Young adults want to get connected through fun events. Adults want support and help for all their needs and instant pastoral care and uplifting services. It's a sad, subtle and dangerous shift to trust in successful, powerful programs or the leaders who draw people to themselves. When we place our trust in persuasive and effective leadership, that's embracing another gospel. One that draws you away from your first love. And instead, you start loving methods and strategies and success. One place where I see this is the advertising material, the junk mail that ministers and churches get. The glossy brochures for big conferences. Have you got those ones? They, they invite you to hear the, the leaders of the megachurches, usually from overseas. And splashed in the writing, the tagline, this conference offers you insights for more effective ministry, powerful small groups, revitalizing times of worship. Now, as we get this junk mail, it's entirely possible that the conferences, if you were to go to them, actually direct you to the word of God and to godly answers to those desires. But it seems to me dangerous to continually think in those categories. To think that the thing we aspire to is being strong and impressive. Later in Corinthians, in chapter 11, Paul likens this danger to the temptation that Eve faced through the serpent's cunning. So let's not pretend that it's not a real temptation or that it's not a dangerous one. I don't even think it's just a matter of semantics and word choice. Instead, if I feel hard-pressed and perplexed and struck down, I'm on the right track. If I'm suspicious of church leaders who are spoken of because of their impressive success and their powerful presentation, if I'm skeptical of that, that's good. Because they, like me and like you, are fragile jars of clay. That everyday item that is used and reused until it breaks and is finished. So that's the difference, I think, between the everyday crockery and the fancy stuff you keep in your china cabinet. The first is useful and functional. Your everyday crockery does not draw attention to itself. You are usually more interested in the meal on the plate than the plate itself. But that nice stuff... The decorated plate, the fine china teacups, they're for special occasions, aren't they? Which usually never come. The fancy stuff seems to be mostly for looking at. 
the plates and bowls and cups that nullify their very reason for being because they're too beautiful to be used. Paul says he's the first kind, not the second. He's the everyday stuff. He's the jar that is so handy it gets used and washed and used and washed until it wears out and breaks. His value in ministry resides in the treasure he contains. That's what this chapter is about. It doesn't matter what kind of container he is. What matters is the treasure he contains. In verse 6, Paul plays on the idea of light that emanates from the very presence of God. Think of the first act of creation where God brings light well before the sun and moon are created. Or if you pick up the tail end of chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians, where we're reminded of the glorious presence and light of God that Moses absorbed but faded with time. And it's with this image of light that Paul speaks about the treasure that he contains. That God has made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Just as Moses was able to get a glimpse of the glory of God as it was passing by him. So in the new covenant, we have God switching on the light to illuminate our hearts, to know that same glory is now visible in the face of Christ. The treasure of the gospel of Christ has filled Paul with a light that enables him to see clearly what's going on here. I mean, think back, how did Paul himself come to know that the risen Christ was glorified to the right hand of the Father? Acts 9, Paul is blinded by a light. His physical eyes are blinded, but the eyes of his heart are opened. It's almost as if he needs to be weakened by blindness so that he could see the glorious risen Christ. Or if you think about it in the terms of verse 4 in 2 Corinthians 4, Paul has to be healed from the blindness that is created by the God of this age. See, it's a cosmic battle that is won when God makes his light shine in Paul's heart. And that is true for you and me. The immense value of the gospel light has awakened blind sinners and has filled these jars of clay. And now the overflow from us to others takes on this great importance. Have another look at verse 11. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work at us, but life is at work in you. Paul's pain, his difficulty, his suffering, his weakness... His sense of death being around the corner is all for the benefit of the Corinthians. Verse 15. All this is for your benefit. So that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. This is what I want to motivate me. That the pain, the hardship... This is for the benefit of those I serve. Not that they don't have to do anything because they can just rest in my all-sufficiency. No, I want them to see the grace of God at work in me. 
that my life might actually cause them to overflow with thanksgiving that goes to God so that the glory will go to God. I want to actively redirect praise to me so that it goes to God. So the thank yous I get are really thank yous to God. And so I don't give up. I don't lose heart. This treasure in me, this light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ is the very beginning of my sharing in the glory of God. I want thanksgiving and glory to head to God because that's where I'm headed too. It struck me as I was looking at this chapter that we really exchange one heavy weight for an even heavier weight. In verse 8, Paul describes his ministry as feeling hard-pressed. It's kind of like a heavy weight, a burden on his shoulders. Then in verse 17, his trouble and pain and hardship, he says, leads to a glorious, heavier weight in eternity. We're, we're, We're trading a heavy weight for a heavier weight. The first weight, I think, is like a heavy load. It pushes you down. Almost crushing you. But the second weight, the second weight is like the pull of gravity. A weight that draws you to itself as something greater around which you orbit, basking in the reflected glory. Like the planets receive light from the sun. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that where we may cover up and paste over weaknesses, where we're not really always upfront about how we're feeling, that in a difficult ministry situation, Paul opens his heart to the Corinthians and shows how much he feels, how much he hurts, how much he loves, how much he wants to be reconciled to them. We thank you for his honesty about this ministry which he's been given. We thank you for the things we can learn about our own ministry. Cause us to reflect now and today about our ministry. Help us to use this time away from the busyness of our normal schedule to actually think hard about what it is we're doing and why we're doing it. Help us to think hard about the kind of language we use because it reveals the way we think. We thank you for the enormity of the treasure, the glorious weight that draws us ever onward to you, that outwardly we might be wasting away, but inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Help us to be honest enough with ourselves that we might see the all-surpassing power that you give to know why we don't give up or lose heart. Gracious Lord, we do ask today that if anyone does feel really like they're about to give up, that you might take this word and plant it in their heart and remind them of the light that you have turned on that enables them to see your glory in the face of Christ. And help us to be an encouragement to one another today that we might see again why it is we serve you, why it is we serve the church, that all the thank yous and all the glory might overflow to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.